All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're our 35th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you, Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send out emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps, where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from this past week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, the week just passed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1,057 points, or 2.9%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 115 points, or 2.5%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 410 points, or 2.8%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 12.5%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 22.9%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 41.5%. So just a run-of-the-mill week this past week on Wall Street, right, gentlemen? Yeah. I would say, nothing uh, nothing to see week, here. What, you, well, last week, here. what did I – what did I? What was the, the, the word? I remember seeing the – Something that I, I I think I took this phrase from you, Kyle, and I used it on last week's show that was also in our email that went out to all of our clients on Wednesday. It said talking about a big nothing burger. Well, that wasn't what this week was. No, we got a something burger. We yeah, had that something burger. A whole that lot. Something, that something <laughs> burger was delivered by Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve. Now, I know by this time, Dad is taking the radio, tearing it out of the wall, throwing it against <laughs> They've the been wall doing that for a year and a half. For, for me mentioning Here, that. Here's what Jerome Powell should have done when he, when he showed up for the press conference after the, new, after the uh, news was announced. He should have come dressed as Santa Claus. <laughs> well, I was going to say in a purple suit like Prince with a box of doves because instead of doves cry, oh, yeah. it was right. doves fly. Doves fly. Doves, yes. When doves fly, that's what happened on Wednesday when doves fly. And what's funny is I know, Joe, I've talked to you and Jeff, you and I have discussed before the meeting came out. And I was expecting, just speaking for myself, for J-Pal to continue to talk tough, but that the very dovish analyst crowd and anticipating these four to five to six rate cuts in 2024 would have found one or two words to, to pull out of the statement and the press conference after the decision and say, this, this word or this phrase means he's more dovish. We'll throw that out the window because he came right out 
and had a box of doves, lifted the lid, and shook them all into the room. His entire, I mean, when he comes out and says, we're done raising rates, the now we're having the conversation is, when is our first cut? And as soon as that came out, here goes the market. And I hear that, that you know, remember the prices, right? That little hiker and one of those games that goes, yodi, 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 up the hill. That's exactly what I heard. As soon as he said that, I watched the market go up just like that. Because I can tell you on Thursday, believe it or not, not on Wednesday, but on Thursday, the day after the FOMC decision to hold rates steady, and now they're discussing when they're going to be cutting rates, we had the highest buy volume in the S&P 500 in two years, 61% above the daily moving average. So there was some new buyers definitely coming in. There are so many different... Phrases that I was thinking about when when Powell was speaking, I was like, okay, is he gonna take a victory lap? He's gonna spike the football, you know? <laughs> what's he? What is he gonna do? Has he has he threaded the needle and actually hit a proverbial soft landing? Which he might, he might pull out the biggest come from behind victory that I've seen in a long time. But you know what? You never know. Things could change. Well, I, I mean, that, that's right. Things can change. I mean, it's not already written in the stars that the wheels are going to be just kissing the runway as everything comes in for a landing. But as data continues to come in, it's starting to shape up that it's going to appear that way. But obviously we got to get through the end of this year. J-PAL and the FOMC definitely brought everyone, uh, you know, equity investors, an early Christmas present, no coal in the stocking like we had at the, uh, at, towards the end of 2018. Um, so it definitely gave everyone some some candy in their stocking. Now, obviously, we're still not to the end of the year yet. Uh, we're very overbought. Uh, you know, Friday was quadruple witching, and this was one of the biggest quadruple witchings on top of rebalancing of multiple major indexes. I was kind of surprised. Uh, you know, obviously, the volume from Friday was huge because of all this rebalancing. But what do we have left now? Nine trading days nine left? Nine trading days, yes. So we got nine trading days left. We The one other thing that we saw this past week is we started to see the market breadth start to widen because something else that has not happened all year occurred this past week where you had every one of the Magnificent Seven stocks negative I believe it was on Wednesday or Thursday. They were negative for the day, but the NASDAQ was positive. And so that means that we have more stocks in these indexes participating and starting to catch a bid, which is Wall Street slang for getting bought. So we started to see the market breadth widen. We saw the equally weighted S&P 500 really start to outperform the market cap weighted S&P for several days this past week. So everything is definitely shaping up for a nice strong push to the end of the year. It's uh, if dad was here, I'm, I'm channeling dad here for a second. It's amazing. The change in sentiment that has occurred here in the last three months when you know, the beginning of the quarter, a few weeks into the quarter, we're talking about 5% yields on the uh, 10-year treasury. Touched the inner day, didn't close there. And talking about additional rate hikes. 
And then this, the, the better CPI numbers came in showing continued progress and in getting inflation down and the narrative changed and interest rates started to head back the other way. And then this you know, development with the Fed, with the Federal Reserve Chairman, who didn't actually say they were done raising rates, he didn't use those exact words, but everybody reading between the lines says, "Well, that's that's it for rate cuts." And the and we've had a, 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 a hundred basis points decline in yields. When we come back from the break, I'll continue this thought. Okay, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps. We can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So we're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street this past week. Just a mild-mannered week this past week with the Dow Jones Industrial Average hitting its all-time high, surpassing 37,000 points. Um, we've got the S&P 500 at a 52-week high, still not back to its all-time high, and the NASDAQ, again, at a 52-week high, again, not back to its all-time high yet, yet. But the Dow is at an all-time high. I think I may have said a few weeks back that I thought it was a – I didn't think it was going to be a highly high probability that the S&P would get back to its all-time high by the end of the year. But now we have less than 2% to go and nine trading days left. I can't say that it's out of the realm of possibility. I want to go back to the thought, my thought about you know interest rates and the ten-year Treasury, which is what is the the main focus when it comes to the financial commentators and us included. You know, watches you know for to get an idea of your direction of interest rates. You know, broad on a more broad basis. So on October the nineteenth. The 10-year Treasury yield closing, intraday it went over 5% yield, but it closed that day with a 4.98% yield. That was October the 19th. On, And it had run up, and, and I'll just give you, you know, some perspective. At the beginning of the third quarter, the 10-year Treasury on June the 30th was three had a yield of 3.81%. So between... July, August, September, into two weeks into October, the 10-year Treasury yield went up 120 basis points, 1.2% in, was that, four and a half months roughly. In two and a half months, or maybe really, pardon me, two months. Yeah, not even almost two months. The Treasury yield has gone down 100 over a hundred basis points in two months. So we've gone up a hundred basis points plus and down a hundred basis points 
in the 10 year treasury. Now you talk about volatile, <laughs> which is unusual for a market well, of that asset size. And that's the one thing our listeners need to understand the trillions of dollars of assets that are in the treasury markets as a whole across the broad spectrum of maturity ranges on the yield curve to have that kind of move in a super tanker size level of assets is astonishing. And so if, I was saying, to overlay, if I was to overlay a stock chart on top of this, on top of the, the, the what yields have done, so stocks would have done exactly the opposite. Stocks would have been declining. This for If I put, put up a chart, I bet you know, it would definitely demonstrate this. From July to October, stocks would show a decline as these yields were going up. And guess what's happened since then? We've had hmm. this. We've had a monster rally. For the quarter, the Dow is up 11%, the S&P is up 10 the Nasdaq's up 12 There's been really even participation across all three indexes. I know there's a big performance differential for the year to date, with the Dow up only 12 and the Nasdaq up 41.5. However, we had a big performance differential negative in 2022. But, but uh, Jeff, you just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you just made my point about the breadth expanding right. in the market this quarter because you just read statistics performance wise for those three indexes that are within a percent of each other. So, so I, the, the probabilities of the Magnificent Seven uh, doing as well as the rest of the market potentially does in 2024, I'm not, I'm, I'm a little, uh, incredulous to that I, I i'm not i just don't think they're going to do as well i think you know we're we're, we're in four of the seven but we are not overly exposed to them uh, i've seen some calls now for folks to get out of the the magnificent seven stocks i don't know that we're necessarily going to get out of the magnificent seven stocks i just think the expectation should be that they're not going to be wild out performers in 2024 well what is what is going to be uh, wildly outperforming? Is it going to be everything else? Then you know, That's a trade. It's a, but, but, but this all depends on this. We've had this huge move in, in bonds up and down. I think, and I was discussing this earlier with Kyle on Friday. To me, this you know, when you have big moves like this in in in, in bonds, yeah, there there's there needs to be a reversion back to the mean. And, and to me, I just I don't see bond I don't see the ten year Treasury yield going down another hundred basis points in the next two months. I don't see that unless there's a some sort of collapse uh, in the U.S. economy, and I'm I'm not seeing any signs of a collapse yeah. in the U.S. economy. No, uh, and, and, get- and, and, and and the first opportunity the Fed could cut rates would be March, anyways. I thought they had a meeting in January, but I may be wrong. Do they? Uh, <clears throat> But, but, but I don't think they, let me check. I, I think there's a meeting in January, but uh, I, you know, I don't, and I don't think there would. I, I don't think not there'd in be January. Any, uh, is it not in January? Okay, I don't, I don't think they'd be cutting in January. Uh, it, but there is an expectation based on even what the Fed said during their meeting that there was that there would be there there the dot plot as uh, the Fed likes to describe it. Is is pricing in three quarters of a percent in Fed fund rate cuts next year. 
Now, whether those happen in the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, or all at the, at the end of the year, nobody knows. And all of this is subject to change. Yes, Scott. I, want to, I just wanted to correct myself. You're right. There is a meeting in January 30th through the 31st for the FOMC. But, I, again, I wouldn't anticipate them doing any kind of rate cut uh, at that point in time. I would say March would be the absolute earliest. But I, but I agree with what your statement is, Jeff. When you have these kind of wild swings in an asset size market like we have in treasuries, there can be that reversion to the mean. There could be a little bit of a pause because they're tremendously overbought, like we've seen this overbought condition in the stock market. And, and, I, and I think there has to be, uh, when you have a big run like this in stocks, much like we had this big run in bonds, there typically is going to be a period of time where things have to consolidate. These these gains at this pace don't continue. I would I'm I'm suspicious that this performance that we're seeing here at the end of 2023 is just performance being brought forward that we otherwise would have seen in 2024. The question is how much of that performance we would have otherwise seen in 2024 has come forward. Yes, Joe. Well, what I think you're getting at is it's time to check your portfolio at the end of the year. And if you're overweight in the S&P 500, which is going to be market-weighted towards the Magnificent Seven, or you're in a large-cap growth fund, you've had a hell of a year, you know, now's probably as good a time as any to look at it, maybe probably rebalance a little bit. But you look at the small-cap index, you look at the mid-cap index, you look at their price-to-earnings, what's undervalued, Small caps this week had a hell of a run. You know, they're up over 5% for the year, which is almost half the returns. I'm sorry, half a percent for the uh, 5% for the week, which is almost half the returns for the entire year. So I think you'd have to start yeah. taking some of these winners on the table and get back to your allocations. Well, and it's and it's not necessarily like Jeff was saying trailer. earlier, wholesale getting out of them, but it could be, like you said, Joe, knowing what you own and looking how much of your investable net worth is allocated to any one particular stock. Now at Davidson Capital, we have a hard and fast rule, no more than 5% invested in one individual stock. Now you can have it in ETFs, you can have it in mutual funds because they're diversified in nature, but as far as a single stock trade, no more than 5%. So if you're starting to see this over, you know, out of balance, you're over allocated into the NVIDIA or the Microsoft or the Google, this is when you can rebalance your position the first week of next year. And particularly if you're in a taxable account, you really want to do wait until the first week of next year. So any capital gains taxes you have won't be due until April of 2025. You don't want to do it in the last, you know, nine trading days of this yeah. year. And tax man will cometh April of 2024. So just piece of advice from a tax, you know, taxation standpoint. But, yeah, you have to take a look. I mean, I know that we're already discussing doing a mass rebalancing in all of our portfolios across the board when we come back after the New Year holiday to kind of get every one of our portfolios at the, you know, all at the same point in the starting blocks for 2024. Yeah, we've got a number of stocks that have moved up tremendously, tremendously. here in this last in this last quarter, and they're overall allocated in the portfolio. Yeah, we'll be making all those moves pretty soon. I think there'll be a lot, a lot of folks that manage money that will be making a lot of tax moves uh, early on in January. I think January is going to be very. I think January is going to be pretty volatile. I think the Magnificent Seven uh, will probably see a lot of selling. And, you know, by the end of the month, it'll all be over. And those that maybe for investors that haven't been in a lot of those stocks could be a good buying opportunity to get in 
after all the tax selling takes place uh, in the in, in January. But we'll see. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. If you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps. We can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. Before we get, get back into the show, I just want to do a little quick housekeeping concerning our podcasts, because all of our podcasts are posted on all your favorite podcast apps. Uh, this show, of course, airs on 1360 KKTX down in Corpus Christi, noon to 2 every Saturday. But our podcast will be updated the following Tuesday. So if you're listening to the show Saturday, you miss parts of the show, you can always go to one of your favorite streaming podcast apps and hear the show in its entirety, and it's updated every Tuesday. So I just want to do that little bit of housekeeping. I've never actually said it on the show, uh, but I was having a conversation with a new client in, in the office, uh, in the San Antonio office this past week, and so I brought that to his attention because he was listening to our show and he missed parts of it, and so he wanted to be able to go back and listen to it in its entirety. So for any listener that doesn't catch it. I thought you were going to say you do the whole segment for him in person, live. He came in. <laughs> Well, that's an extra fee. That's an extra fee, by the way. That's an extra fee. I would also like to add that I I believe the most of the streaming platforms keep an archive, a limited archive of our shows in the past. However, we have a much more uh, deeper archive on our website at davidsoncap.com, which I think we've got over three years worth of shows. I saw Spotify had a hundred, over a hundred and thirty some odd shows archived. I think Apple is like ten, something like that. Oh, that's it. Okay. Well, we're part of the iHeart family, and for listeners that don't know this, iHeart Media is one of the has the largest library of podcasts uh, in the country. And so we also have a link on our website at davidsoncap.com where you can click the iHeart link and go and, and follow the podcast there. Uh, but then one other thing for you know folks that are maybe out of town and want to actually hear the show noon to two every Saturday, you can always go to the 1360KKTX website because our show is streaming live off of their website. So you can listen to that because this particular client used to live in Corpus. Him and his wife retired, now live in San Antonio, and he learned about us Going back, you know, we've been doing the show 19 years, so he listened to us for years and years and years down at Corpus when he was out in the field. So you're saying if you have a smartphone or a laptop or an iPad, there's no excuse not to listen to us. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially no into two on Saturday, no matter where you are in the country. We're everywhere. You could be we're overseas. Everywhere. As long as you know the time differences, you'll be good to, to stay in tune with the Money Wise guys in your portfolio. That's right, baby. So now that we're done with some housekeeping. Thank you to all the listeners yes. for making the show such a success. Yeah, radio for, show gold, and we owe it to you. 
Yeah, we're in our 19th year. So getting back to the market, and we were discussing this earlier in the program, how we're starting to see the market breadth start to widen. You know, we've seen the equally weighted S&P 500, the best exchange-traded fund to to look at for that. Its symbol is RSP. It's a fund that we've owned before in the past. We don't currently own it now, but we're really starting to see some catch-up trades taking place. But something else that we're seeing is we're starting to see other asset classes, particularly small cap, which, Joe, I know you mentioned it uh, in the last segment, that we've seen small caps. It's like a, a, a mad horse that's been let out of the barn, and it was surpassing even the NASDAQ, you know, in the past week, week and a half as far as our performance. And because it's their valuations are so incredibly attractive. Now, we have a small position uh, across all of our asset allocation models and small cap uh, stocks. And we've always been at Davidson Capital Management a believer in small cap stock because historically, small cap stocks have outperformed the S&P 500 over a longer period of time. But it seems like the last, you know, five, seven to ten years, small caps have just, you know, it's like they've, they've kind of shined certain years and then other years they've been absolutely in the doghouse so they haven't had as much consistency but now that we're looking at the fed not raising rates anymore now having conversations of cutting interest rates that is definitely favorable for smaller cap companies also if we are able to if the fed is able to bring the economy in for a soft landing and not going into uh, any type of uh, recession Small caps just historically really come out of the blocks hot on the other side of a recession. So if we have an economic slowdown or we have a mild recession, small caps historically are some of the leading asset classes out of this on the other side as the market and the economy starts to recover you know, from this. So that's something to keep in mind. And I was just looking at valuations, in fact, on Friday – Just looking at the S&P 600 core small cap index, it has a price earnings multiple of around 13, but small cap value is at 9.1. It's a single digit price earning multiple. So from a valuation standpoint, very attractive valuations. And Jeff was talking earlier in the show about even bonds regressing back to their mean after this tremendous amount of buying that's been taking place the last, you know, few weeks in the treasury market, well, it's the same situation with the small cap asset class. If it just regressing back to its mean means a pretty decent size up move. So, again, this is this is when you have to take a look at your asset class representation in your portfolio, not just the individual stocks or ETFs themselves. I, I think another reason why the, the small cap value is trading where it is is concerns about you know, whether we're going to have a recession in 2024 or not. And sure. that those those companies uh, tend to be the ones that suffer the most uh, in a recession, a recessionary type environment. And yeah, higher interest I, rates I have, because higher, yeah, and, higher, and higher interest rates because they have to borrow a lot of money right. typically. They, they typically are heavier needers of, you know, have a, have a, a bigger need of cre- for credit. Uh, I, have, I haven't heard anybody mention the R word, uh, this week, it's been all about the just the euphoria. I'm, I'm I don't have really have any other way to describe it. There's there's just this euphoria that's developed uh, because of le- you know, leading up to the Fed meeting and now in the follow up, you know, past the meeting. Whenever I 
you know, start to feel like the market is acting in a euphoric manner, there always has there always seems to be a a pullback of some some sort on the horizon because of the calendar and the timing and and folks that are still underinvested or folks that are underperforming this year in the money management world that need to chase performance into the end of the year, uh, that that probably will continue to to happen to some extent over these these last nine days. Uh, yeah, when it comes to comes to January, I think there's going to be uh, a number of profits taken, and January may be uh, a lot more challenging. I don't expect to get anything from an interest rate perspective uh, from the Fed at the end of the month meeting. They'll get a couple. They'll get you know more data points on CPI. We'll get another data point on uh, the uh, uh, unemployment situation. We do get a data point uh, next week with PCE. On Friday, mm-hmm. which is a, <clears throat> a statistic that uh, the Federal Reserve seems to pay attention to, but you know the one we've gotten all the way through nearly three quarters through the show, we haven't mentioned at all the other you know bigger news for the week, and that's what happened with CPI. I think it's well, price index. It, it uh, came in. It came in within expectations. I mean, we've got the what the core came in at three one, roughly three one. Uh, but the overall um, non-core CPI, or what is the, wait, it was the non-core CPI came in at around 3.1. Core came in at right around 4. So we're still not to the Fed's targeted mandate of 2%, but it is moving at a glacial pace down to that 2% level. So it was kind of – actually, Jeff, that was the nothing burger for this past week was the CPI and PPI report was really the nothing burger. Except for – I take that back. PPI was was below three. Yeah, it was – it had a two-handle on it. So producer price index had a two-handle on it. I think it came in at, what, two, two and a half, 2.6, if memory serves me correct? Industrial production was up for the week. Retail sales, that was also a surprise. They were actually expecting negative retail sales, and it came in positive, for, you know, 4.1. So that was uh, – there was there was nothing but positive news in, with all the data points when it came to economic statistics for the week. Next week, even though it's, you know, week before Christmas – there's a lot of economic news coming out next week with how a lot of measurements on housing, housing starts, existing home sales, new home sales. We had the final third quarter GDP number. We have leading economic indicators, doable goods, personal income and spending. You know, leading economic indicator, if it comes in negative again, I don't know how many months in a row. I've lost count now. I believe that'll I be 18 or, 18 or 19. Months in a row. 18 or 19. We, I mean, it's. And, and we still haven't seen a recession. Yeah, and I don't think I don't know that that's ever happened. Well, uh, does that mean that the lead, leading economic indicators is is a true barometer anymore? That's but, what I was thinking. I don't know. Those those articles were written like you know three or four negative <laughs> prints ago. You know, and here we just keep on going, and and we we still haven't. You know, there is you know where is the recession? Where is the ugly recession? You know, recession at? It's not here. It's well, just, as long not, as I, I, I think as employment continues to be strong, um, you know, I, as we've talked about on this program, that is a very strong backstop uh, to the overall economy 
and then that, of course, helps backstop the market. But also when you've got a presidential election, uh, it's not favorable to be going into any kind of economic recession when uh, the incumbent president's looking to be reelected when he doesn't want to actually campaign or debate. But, hey, that's Joe Biden. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, so we've got nine trading days left in 2023. And I know at the very beginning of the year, we would always put out our predictions of what the market was going to do. And I know this this year I was the most bullish, <laughs> and I believe my prediction was around 16 to 16 and a half. So I guess like in cornhole, I'm closest to the hole without the beanbag actually going in. I know the year's not done yet. We still have nine trading days with the S&P up 22.9%. I'm closest. You know, I guess it's good for horseshoes and hand grenades. I think that's the old saying. I think so, Jeff is digging for the numbers right now. <laughs> I'm trying I to see what he's doing. What, my, what is he? What my prediction was for the year, and I don't, I don't know. Where I know, I, really I knew what he's if doing. It was, pro- it was, it was probably Mike Wilson esque of Morgan Stanley up three percent or four percent. No, I'm, kidding. Yeah. I'm <laughs> kidding. Where is Mike Wilson? We haven't heard anything. Zero point zero zero. We haven't heard anything from Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson about what his thoughts were. You know, really this quarter, because I know, you know, going through September and October, uh, he definitely was bringing in that ray of sunshine. And, of course, that's said with tongue buried deep in cheek. Well, what I think will be interesting is is the next Morgan Stanley prospect I see that doesn't that, that has 80% of their money in stocks. I was like, well, what is this guy that y'all have on TV constantly that seems – seems to be somewhat with a bearish bent, and then you bring me a portfolio from the same firm that's 80% invested in stocks. It doesn't That doesn't compute with me, which is typically what happens. I, I think I remember seeing him a few days before the Federal Reserve meeting. But, I mean, let's, let's be honest. None of us really saw this kind of move coming. I, I, I thought there would be a – well, we thought there would be a Santa Claus rally – um, I didn't think there was going to be the Santa Claus euphoria, and that's pretty. That's the only way I could, you know, I could describe it. I, I don't remember the last time we had a fourth quarter like this on the positive side. I know we've had some fourth quarters on the negative side. Uh, I just can't remember the last time we had this this good of a quarter at the end of the year. Yeah, Kyle. Well, I just wanted to talk quick, quickly, just for you know, because we I know we have a lot of clients to listen. Just some some portfolio updates that we've done this past week. And, again, in anticipation of more dovish comments being extrapolated out of the press conference from Jay Powell, we went ahead and increased our allocation 
across the board in all of our asset allocation models to our corporate bond ETF. And that trade was punched in with about 10 minutes to go on Wednesday, right before the statement came out. So uh, I, I, I'm not going to break my own arm, yeah. pat myself on the back, but uh, we picked up almost one full dollar of movement to the upside after that trade was made in that one particular position. So, uh, you know, timing was, was spot on. And uh, it, it was well timed, but we're going to be holding on to it for the long term. That's for sure. Because sure. it's still, yeah. it, it's it's still not a trade. Like, like 13% below its all-time high. Oh, it's uh, even further, Jeff. It's it's closer to 16 to 17, 16, still 16, below 16. its all-time high. So we're definitely, even if we continue to increase allocation to this position, which we're going to be doing, we're still picking it up double digits off of, 50, you know, I, off of its all-time of high. I would take about 6 or 7%. All day so be able to get a nice 30-day SEC yield on top of capital appreciation as interest rates continue to move lower over the longer term. Uh, it's not a bad thing to be, especially in triple B and above uh, corporate, uh, you know, credit-rated paper on the corporate side. So you know, remind- that, was the, that was a big portfolio move that we made this past week. Yeah, I, we always we may have a lot of new listeners or people that haven't heard listened to the show in a while. We need to rewind it a little bit. We had raised our asset allocations to stocks uh, end of October, half in the end, end of, of October, end of October, uh, and we're in a moderate asset allocation portfolio. We're we're basically five percent below our maximum asset allocation to stocks. And this this money that we've had set aside has been vast majority has been sitting in a in a high yield money market fund yielding over five percent. But the, what we've been doing is we have been reallocating that those assets out of those out of that high yield money market fund into uh, this corporate bond ETF. There have been some discussions about buying potentially another government bond at this point. Uh, we've kind of we, we've we're really looking more to adding more to our corporate bond position, necessarily adding to our government bond position. We have a lot. We have a number of government bonds are going to be maturing in 2024, and when those maturities occur, I expect us to be buying new bonds further out on on the yield curve. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to give away our predictions for 2024 just yet because I'm still formulating them in my mind, and we still have two more radio shows uh, yet before we're at the end of the year. I I will not be here for next weekend's uh, radio show, so before I forget, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. These two guys will be on the show next week, and we probably should get Dad in for our end-of-the-show wrap-up because the bear may be feeling a little bit mauled in 2023 i would i would i would you know love to see i'd love to hear what you know, made into a rug a bear rug. Know, he's, he's, yeah, he's been made into a bear rug okay right. maybe, maybe he's gonna mothball his bear coat you know for uh, a little for a little time bear. i try i tried to motivate dad to get it to get him into our special you know yeti portfolio which uh just surpassed the nasdaq's performance uh Ooh. this past week yeah uh, and that's a six. And that's a sixty stock portfolio. That's that pretty much that's not way. for the faint of heart, special, by the way. Not for the faint of heart. Thank you. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yes. Exactly that, 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 that's right. If you have any kind of emotion in investing, this is definitely not the portfolio <laughs> for you. You have to have ice water in your veins 
uh, to even come close to it. But anyways, so Jeff, you, you know, let's see if we can get dad motivated. Cause I know I hear from clients that miss hearing his voice uh, on the show before you, before you head out, maybe you can well, go and, and get him reacquainted with the, uh, with the system. We'll tell them not to talk about the markets. Just talk about politics. For politics. And then, and then they'll be happy. We're going to throw our listeners a bone and let him roll for a have, second. Have a, have a political show. Red meat and politics. Yeah. Why not? That's actually, Joe, that's actually what we should call it. Red should, meat and politics. A red meat segment. Not that shit. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. we'll we'll talk to Dad and see if we can get him onto this next week's show. But don't forget, you know, we still have nine trading days left. You need to know what you own. You need to look at your portfolio. Make sure you're not over allocated in any one individual stock. No more than five percent of of your investable net worth in any one individual stock. ETFs, mutual funds is okay. But again, if you haven't taken advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, this is your chance to do it. Eight hundred two seven five. 2160, you can give us a call in San Antonio, Corpus Christi. Well, with that, we're coming to the top of the hour breaks. So we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time, and I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors behavior and so doing some research and really where this spur you know really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago uh, Dalbar released a study and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return um, and and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own and and from time to time when i meet with prospective clients and current clients we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios so in my research i actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family munder i want to give them the credit for for putting this presentation together which i thought was just fantastic presentation that i wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought but it also includes some of these dalbar statistics about investor psychology 
and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish obje- objectives and achieve re- and achieve returns. The result is is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, They also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's That's a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the conser- really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean, Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows, every one of them has got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, run, runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And and you know and again we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because again this twenty four hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind 
um, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market. You know, something else from an emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth. And I know with a lot of the self-help books out there, with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites, I think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70-plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet stocks. Uh, But gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, We've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, Mm -hmm. uh, that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had they've had a, a pretty uh, good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are, that are managing their own assets. And one, one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring 
those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data. Uh, They've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A a disciplined behavior has many different that's right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is, especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401k, contributing as, as much as you can. If you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k, that obviously that's going to give you the, the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement. Contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis, time and time again, and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us the the investment manager the ability to to buy could always be in the market buying securities maybe you know like right now we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down mm-hmm. and by dollar cost averaging all the time and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement and even if you're not contrib- if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account, get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one too, and investing consistently in, in that in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. 
So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather I this data? No idea. How I'm they not sure. I, I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making and so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this... In kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index, the new oh, oh brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean, they use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside. Every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches, and so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist, and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations. Allah. Equity indexed annuities, and, and let's give an example. Recently, you we we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes, and I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S&P 500 index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S&P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. Yeah. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20% or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts 
after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment, if analogies are used to represent stability and analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations again leads back to indexed annuities when I read this I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state and again using now this psychological effect of anchoring you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those, those, t- those aspects of the investment are not discussed. But the focus is all on the yield. That's right. And, and not, and not you know, can I get my money out if I need to liquidate? How fast can I get a hold of my money? And what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment? Kind of going back to that. I'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1-800-275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior and and again going into um, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a, a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys, you know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental mental accounting and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others and i would say the best example jeff in this area would be in precious metals 
That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks to us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show, is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So So, even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash, you know, just plain old straight cash. The risk that uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio, now this is interesting, diversification. Now in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three five. or four stocks. And five. five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Cramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance. I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners. And guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds. Cash. Cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector. That's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, Another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a contra- you know, being more of a contrarian, as opposed to following the herd. Another f- psychological factor is regret. 
you know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who defear, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you, can't, you cannot take the – you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency – it's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news – Without reasonable examination, going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So, again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then, finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, Let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 1231-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. But because you know, 5% is very low. 
You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. Which means if you just bought a twenty-year bond twenty years ago and held it for the twenty years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average one hundred percent stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I, I think again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your emotion your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio you know and you know again an old saying that investors would have i mean here's something an investor would say to themselves you know a stock's historic high was $50 but then it declines rapidly the next thought in an investor's mind is well, once my stock gets back to 50 i'll sell and that is Hope, hope. Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior. And as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing. And I promise you, we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about, again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed income. Too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy at Davidson Capital Management, we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century we'll continue to have that balanced allocation remember that the market is not going to reward 
those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio, you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic-driven events. So, again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and, again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation, an initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model, and an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget it is is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales oriented than it is active management or meaning the investor has a relationship with a full service broker uh, they they're not in the business of managing portfolios they they typically set an initial allocation and when the, when the money's deposited and they move on when you buy an annuity the initial asset allocation is set and then that's it you move on so another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20 percent annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the 15% plus, the, the double-digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, oh, I want a 10% return, but I don't want, but I only want 20% of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. There, there, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the, the, the return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector. It's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings maintain that true diversification another great way to help improve returns and jeff i know you said this earlier in the hour dollar cost averaging into investments if you have a 401k if you have an ira if you have a taxable account setting up monthly contributions or if you're in a 401k per pay period contributions we know in 25 years of business we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model one client that's putting in money every month another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment 
and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking. We've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes, with our own client base. It's somewhere, it it's somewhere between 2 and 3% per year compounded, which doesn't sound like a lot, but get out of cal- that's a difference between a 7% compounded return and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV the internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of. Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.